Of course we started. Of course. You, <laughs> yes. Yes. This is the BS section. You know this. You pl- you played this game. Welcome to American Soccer Analysis. I'm Harrison Crow. We have, as always, Sean Stefan, who's bewilderment. I, I don't quite understand or recognize. And then uh, joining with us uh, tonight is our own uh, American Soccer Analysis, as well as uh, what is, what's the Philly podcast, uh, Philly site? Um, Brotherly Game. Brotherly Game. That is it. Jared Young. Thank you so much for uh, for staying up late and partying with us. Absolutely. So I got to tell you, I don't like talking about this subject generally, but since it's such an oddity, I'm going to say that at some point in the middle of this podcast, it is going to turn into my birthday. We, we won't know when. We won't know what words will be being said at the time. But I, I, actually, I, I think that was on I, – I, I don't want to reveal too much, but I could have swore that was on Facebook earlier when I was, I was uh, messing around. I wasn't going to say anything because I'm the same way. Um, I, I generally try not to make it too big of a deal about it. But, yes, uh, I, I, I did observe uh, said thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, this week, this entire going back from the last podcast to this date, which is a little over a week, there's been some ups and downs within all of United States soccer. Um, man, let's go ahead and let's let's start with the U23 since you know that's it is what it is. Everyone kind of was like, oh, but it was so close. That game really wasn't that <laughs> no, close. Wasn't. And, and while neither were, um, neither were. Well, well, we'll get to the yeah. Neither games really were. But the real thing that really bugs me is that people want to say it wasn't close because the United States only had one shot on goal through you know the 180 minutes. Which I mean, we can all agree that's not necessarily an accurate portrayal. But rather, it's the the fact that they got all of 10 shots. Uh, collectively, whereas Colombia somehow managed 40. (laughs) 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 And and despite the fact that it was really fun to have the narrative that, you know, it was, it was close on the scoreboard. The reality is, is their class is just on another level. Well, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't think anyone who actually knew these teams going in thought USA should have had a shot at this game. Columbia's obviously um, probably better than any of the teams we faced in qualifying in the first place. We never should have gotten to that point. So, I mean, this was always a doomed endeavor, and uh, I think people just wanted to believe it could be done. Well, I mean, that's part of the that's part of the fun, right, Jared? I mean, you, you want to have some believability to the fact that even if you're the underdog, I mean, it, you're 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 a fan of the Philadelphia area sports club. I mean, the the little guy that could, you know, kind of's within your marrow, right? Yeah, I think you obviously when it's on your home soil, you can you can dream of the upset. But I think I think Sean is is right. It, they, 
it, it's disappointing for folks, I think, specifically uh, who are used to the U.S. national team always qualifying for the World Cup, and we see the youth team struggling. We're, we, we don't understand why. What is the issue? What's the systematic problem that we can't consistently make it to these tournaments, but we get beat by the CONCACAF clubs. I think that's the bigger question. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think people were dreaming of a, of a chance uh, here just simply because it was a home game and you're kind of hoping the crowd will lift them. I thought the crowd was a little bit dead, to be honest, during the, uh, during that game and really didn't give them much of a lift. Uh, the fact that they only sold, what was it? Five, 6,000 tickets yeah. is kind of disheartening. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least from my perspective. Now, do we want to go ahead and jump into that why that was brought up by Jared of why we think? Because uh, I because I think there are a couple of theories to be thrown out here. I know I personally have one. Yeah, let's go go for it. Well, I'm uh, looking at the rosters. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of funny that when you think back, was when was the last time we qualified for this tournament? You know, it was that 2018, right? So let's look at the players on that team. Win, Marvel Win, starter in MLS at the time. Robbie Rogers, starter in MLS at the time. Bradley, starter at Heronby. McCarty, starter in MLS. Adu, starter in MLS. Holden, starter in MLS. Bill Harbour was on the bench at Derby. Kleshin, starter in MLS. Uh, Freddie Adu, RSL starter, moved to Benefica bench. So it was, and then Charlie Davies was starter at, like, um, uh, I forget where. So consistently starters at a first division somewhere. Yeah, but that that's not fair. Matt Miyake, no, no, no. starter what, what? for New York. Will- no, 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 no. Let me let me go through. All right, Just all right, go. You do your thing. 2012, we started to see that go down a bit. Hamid was a starter. Kitchen was a starter. Adu was still a starter. Mix was a starter. Agadello was a starter. Shades a starter. But we also started getting our Coronas, our Joe Jowls, our Boyds, people who were on the second teams in Europe or were on the bench in Mexico. 2015, that was all, that was more of the team than were starters. So we had Horvath, not a starter. Um, Vincent wasn't uh, only is now a MLS player. So that's a pretty much a college player. Uh, yes, Miazga is a starter. Uh, Costa is a starter. Green, not a first-team player. Uh, Ariola, TJ Bench, Dylan Cerna, not a consistent starter. Matt Polster, on and off starter. Will Trapp, consistent starter. Gill, starter. Kiesvetter, not first team. Shelton, not starter. Rodriguez, not first team. Morris, college. So I think what's happening here is, one, MLS is getting harder to break into, and two, we're getting more players to Europe. And the problem with doing that is, at the U23 level, we're still fighting to be, be first team. So our U23s are not in the form they need to be in when it comes Olympic time. Now, that would explain why our U17s do fine, why our U20s do fine. Because when everyone is playing in those academies, everyone's playing in those two teams, it's fine. But when we're playing, when it's our U20s, threes playing, because, again, again, we're playing against Honduras and uh, countries like that where those players on the field are playing regularly in their leagues. And that's not happening anymore with us. And in 2008, at least, that was the majority of our team. And I think that might have something to do with this. That's a that's an outstanding set of observations. I gotta say, I, I'm 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 sold myself. But that brings me to a question of the hype that comes with some this team. I mean, I, I don't exactly remember the hype train in 2008. Uh, probably wasn't much because it was probably MLS based. Uh, were a lot of the starters. But now you've got a Kisaveta, Morris, 
Miazga, Horvat, Zalalem. I mean, there's a lot of hype there, but to your point, maybe not a lot of guys playing consistently. So, uh, I mean, is that a big issue as these guys try to look to the senior team? Uh, and is that just a big issue overall? Is this is this so much hype, but not enough guys are actually playing legitimate big-time minutes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 2008 was there was a lot of hype around that team, mainly because a lot of those guys were already breaking to the national team. So we had Adu and Altador, major hype around them, obviously. Um, Bradley, same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Robbie Rogers was just coming off of an MLS Cup. So uh, Phil right. Hopper had, I think, was, I think he was starting to gain hype around that time. So that was a very hype team in general. But I think the the difference between them was everyone on that team, with the exception of, like, Phil Hopper, when you look at, like, the starters on that team, uh, were getting consistent minutes. And the only problem with it was the back line. Well, so, yeah, as you, as you said, that's, it's a good, it's a good theory. Um Looking at this team going forward, who is who are a couple of guys that stood out to you? I, I know everybody's going to go ahead and and they're going to have their they're going to have their say about this squad. Oh, the the passing looked completely disjointed. The forwards didn't do enough. The defense wasn't good enough. Blah blah blah. Who who really stood out for you guys? Uh, if you had to name one guy. Uh, leaving behind his MLS or international uh, otherwise exploits, just looking at this two-game series, who kind of stood out for you guys? Hmm. Tim Parker, I think, did pretty well. Because um, yeah. Miazga was shaky. You could clearly tell he hadn't played soccer in a while. Um, I think Tim Parker looked really good for uh, for uh, just holding down a back line that you know with the strike with the partnership with Miazga, who you know just wasn't looking good. I'll throw I'll throw Horvath in there. I agree with Parker. I throw Horvath. He had you know eight oh, saves, yeah, eight yeah. saves in two games. You know, I, I, one thing I would like to point out is I'm not sure why Kisaveta was was coming off the bench. I mean, he he led the team, got the Golden Boot in the uh, qualifying over the summer. Seemed odd to me. He actually. he hasn't played a game in a while because I think he's out of contract now. So fitness issue. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. he still, it still says that he is associated with Stuttgart, so I don't know. How. Well, well, for their, he was playing all the things that he was doing was for second teams. So now he's with Stuttgart, the first team. I think his contract ends. Uh, they, I forget when it ends, but he's at a he's at a point in his career where he's not on a second team, he's not starting, and they're not sure what they're going to do with him, and the contract is about to be up. So it's just the tournament came at a bad time for him. And that was yeah. really unfortunate because they really could have used him. I think forward-wise, they were not very strong. I mean, after Morris, the drop-off was pretty big. Although I did, I was impressed with Mario Rodriguez in the uh, in the games uh, just because I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, he did. He seems to have uh, improved quite a bit, um, something to keep an eye on. But, yeah, it just wasn't enough. Uh, I mean, Kyrie Shelton, I guess, was the next forward after that. There just, uh, just wasn't enough attacking players up front. I was a little disappointed with Kyrie Shelton. I After how he's been so far with NYC, I kind of expected him to maybe step up in his subs, and he really didn't. He did, wasn't strong on the ball. He, I, I don't know what they were trying to do and if it was something specific with the tactics, 
but he just did he didn't look as good as what I'd seen him in the past two MLS games. Yeah, yeah, I mean he didn't have a lot of time to do to do um I think he came in after the red card or the first red card, right? He came, he came in before the first one. Okay, I mean, well, I, mean, I think it's hard to judge um, him based on limited minutes um, in general. I think uh, Louis Gill was super unimpressive, as usual. Uh, I don't know why he, he still gets to wear the number 10. Because uh, he scored a goal. Stay off of him. Score goals. <laughs> I've never once... Okay, I, just, I think in a friendly, I, I saw him play well. Uh, generally never impressed with Louis Gill, and I don't understand why there was ever hype around him and why there, he continues to get attention. So just looking in general um, at this talent pool, is there anyone – the big thing, and I'm sure this will come up as we go towards the men's national team, do you see a star in this in the U23s? Is there one that you can – you look towards and you say this, this could be a star? I mean, remove all the lush hype around Jordan Morris. Is there – I mean, I feel like Dylan Serna has the ability to possibly – blossom into something i feel like emerson heidman maybe but it's too soon to really tell it's not like there's anything that's that really stands out to me just yet um tim parker i think you nailed it on the head tim parker was very impressive yeah you could tell that he was a starter for a professional team and then that's kind of the problem with the guys who who didn't look good i mean i think will trap um although he did have one giveaway that was pretty unacceptable um, and he covered well. I think Trap is one to keep an eye on for sure, given uh, the, just how many minutes he's already played professionally. Um, I think, you know, Keith's a better. Um, every time I've seen him, he's looked good. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for, I mean, uh, Miazga, of course, um, if he can if he can break in overseas, uh, then that's, that's going to be pretty big because he, he does have the talent. I just and, feel like that Chelsea move was terrible. Like, no, someone someone needed to sit him down and be like, this is a bad move. Like, sh- shake him a little bit. I said the same thing about the Edlin move, and he seems to – and he eventually found his feet. So, I mean, maybe when they'll loan him out and he gets some starting time. So, we'll see. I, 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 maybe it was the rave green colored glasses that I was wearing, but I, I felt like – that had, considering who they had at the current time in their fullback situation, I felt there was a possibility that they could just try him out. He hits a few things, and maybe good things happen for him. You know, he, he's found his way in Sunderland. He seems like he's doing really well there. So it's worked out despite my worst fears. Um and I really, I really thought that he was actually going to stick with Spurs. I thought he would, he would probably find some second team minutes and, and occasionally start. So um, yeah, I, I think that that's worked out better than what I had imagined. Uh, but I didn't fear so much for that. And, and I've, I've pretty much been pretty vocal as I don't think he's a national team player yet. Although he, he showed pretty well. Um, the other night and we can get to that here in one last second. Jerry, do you have any last minute thoughts on the U23 teams? No, I think to answer that question, I like Kisa Vetter there as far as somebody who I think can break through. They were in desperate need of wing play on the senior team or 
obviously forward play as well. So any kind of offense, I think he can he can make an impact if he can get uh, get playing soon. So to kind of transition to the big boys, um, the adults, uh, and I say that like there, I mean, he's a veteran, is 22, so it's not as if he's not an adult. But sure. uh, to the men's national team game, as as it's so called, um, you know, everybody. So two two weird things have happened, right? In the last 24 hours, the initially with a four nothing score, everybody went left and was like, "Oh, we totally blew blew them out." And then on the right side, everybody's kind of gone the other way. And it seems like the media has kind of absorbed, I guess, some of the skepticism. And, and maybe not necessarily all for the right reasons, but and try to bring about the idea that this wasn't an enormous win as it appears on its face, right? I mean – the United States had seven total shots inside the penalty box. Uh, according to uh, Michael Cayley's uh, expected goal models, it was good for about 1.4 expected goals. Um, his oh, model is wow. very similar uh, to ours. So, I mean, on its face, it's not as if the U.S. did a, an exceptional job in creating opportunities. It was just largely due to the fact that Guatemala is a terrible team. And it's embarrassing in the first place that we lost to them, let alone we gave up two goals to them. Um, what do you guys think 24 hours later? How have you digested this game? I'll, I'll go yeah. ahead and Jared, why don't you, why don't you start since you, you've written about it, you've kind of have formulated thoughts. Um, you're talking about the four nothing game when you say digesting this game. Yeah. I, I think when you look at the two games in total, it's probably more what you would have expected on average, I guess. You know, you've got 10, 10 shots on goal to five, so you've doubled them there. Um, you know, you maintain majority of possession. Uh, you outscored them four to two. You know, I think, you know, it's probably a little underwhelming on average, but you'd expect over the two games it kind of looked kind of pedestrian or something you, you'd expect over Guatemala. So, uh, you know, it, it just turn, it turns out that they got a little bit lucky in the, in the second game and they were probably a little unlucky in the first game. And overall they kind of played very underwhelming soccer, but enough to beat Guatemala and basically get through the heck. So I, it, there's nothing uplifting about it for sure. Nobody should feel good that the bottom, this is sort of the, the team that barely gets into the gold cup, right? So, you know, most of the teams that are in the hex are going to be much more dangerous. And, and, you know, that basically puts every game on the road in the hex should scare everybody now, which really shouldn't be the case, but, it, but it's going to. Well, I think the, in the winning games in the hex on the road is nearly impossible. I think the formula is always to get the times on the road. I think what time. scares me, me is that the home games in the hex become up for grabs. So I can see us losing to Mexico. And then if let's say if you get a tie in another home game, then all of a sudden you start needing better results on the road in the hex, where we haven't done well as, say, Mexico on the road in the hex. And then we need those results, and the team is still the team that we have now. I think the hex is – I am very worried about the hex in, in general. Uh, I mean, we're still not creating dangerous shots. Um you know, uh, 
We tried out Zuzi and Zardes on the same team, which uh, was my personal nightmare. And uh, it's it's just frustrating because uh, it, Klinsman doesn't seem to have a clear vision for this team. I mean, he the idea that he doesn't even call in Zuzi for the first game, and then once his back is against the wall, even though he's already called in Wynn and Finley and Nagby, he just calls in Zuzi to start him in the next game. It says, well, if you wanted to play him, then why didn't you bring him in for the game before? And then, like he just straight up said, it was for strip, it was for set pieces. So I mean, it it seems like he is already in a position that he doesn't know what he's doing. Like he doesn't have a clear idea of what the offense is, how shots are being created. I don't think he puts a lot of time into figuring that out, and I think it's it's just worrying. Well, I thought it was awesome that uh, Ben uh, Bear from MLSsoccer.com. He uh, he's the data guy there. <laughs> he even lauded. He he was like, Zusi is maybe the fourth, fifth, sixth best <laughs> free kick taker. Why is he taking free kicks? <laughs> and, and I think that kind of like goes along with everything that we all kind of were saying. Like a lot of what is going on with Zusi, and you'll even admit you you underrate him to a point that you to a point that you probably devalue more than what he really is, right? He's an average player. An average no, that's player. No, that's absolutely what I think he is. And, yes. and, and that's not to take anything away from him, but here's the deal. He doesn't – it's not like he has a golden right foot. A lot of what he was – and I, 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 looking back on this now, we can say he's, he was making passes to people that were very capable of absorbing those, those crosses and winning them and making his service look that much better than mm-hmm. what, what it really was. Also, it, if you look at the, the, the majority of the assists in his one good year of assists, just one, um, I, I forget the percentages, huge percentage of them are set pieces. So yeah, when you're when you're sending in uh, crosses on dead balls to Colin in the box, sure you're gonna Ty get tomorrow. Yeah, another one exactly. So yeah, it's it, there's nothing super impressive about that. I've never been a fan. What's funny is um that because uh, I made this joke on Twitter that it's fu- funny that if you're playing around a four three three and you want set pieces and you bring in Zuzi, the, the irony there is that. The, one, the guy who actually plays that position in the 4-3-3 for SKC and takes set pieces for them is Benny Failhopper. So if that is truly your goal and it's purely a utilitarian pick, then you bring in Failhopper. So so obviously, again, there's more going on there. Um, and this is more about favoritism. But yeah, um, Zuti really has no place going forward um, on any like uh, on any on this national team unless if you want to be serious about the best 11 players that should be out there. Yeah, that's true. I, I, it's a good example, Zusi. I think there's there's plenty of others. He's he's very inconsistent. He should be locking down a role for Bradley on this national team instead of moving him around as often as he is. It's almost like, well, who do I have available, and then I'll stick Bradley in the in the available spot there because he can kind of do everything. But we should be giving, you know, Bradley a specific role on this team, and they should we should be building around him. But he just keeps getting shifted from from the 10 to the 8 to the 6 at times. And the other thing that frustrates me is the the whole the Beckerman thing and the mix thing. I'm sure it frustrates you this it's almost like he doesn't value the 6 role at all. Um because he really hasn't bothered to replace Beckerman in any serious way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, and it's 
And then he and then he was desperate to bring him back for this game, and it, it's or, or you know start him for this game. He was there, but it's it's frustrating that he isn't looking for that replacement. I agree a hundred percent because Beckerman, um, if you look just fo- just following him, you can see it. Um, you can also if you look fo- look at his foul stats. He's he's on the decline, and you can sort of guess that from his age that that's going to start happening, and it's only going to get worse. And mm-hmm. we talked about we talked about that last week. I mean, he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, and he's the ba- backup to Jones, who's also on the decline. And yeah, and you have your kitchens out there. I mean, I don't know who. I mean, Bacardi. Um, I mean, the, to be fair, there aren't a lot of lots no. of options out there. I mean, maybe try a Lache out. I don't know. But Danny Williams. Williams. I was going to say Danny Williams is, a, it, for me, is the logical, uh, at least at least the starting point, right? Um, right, but is he start like what's his current club situation? I'm not 100 percent sure. Right. I think he's, he's, is he, is he starting. Least, is he starting? Is he healthy? Yeah, I believe so. So um, that's actually one of my projects is to try to start uh, centralized. That's I'm not doing a lot for the site. That's actually what I'm trying to do is is develop a script. Uh, to kind of collect that and put that up, post that on a monthly basis for who is the U.S. men's national team pool players and what is their monthly uh, minutes and stuff. I think that would be really, really helpful. But I'm 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 looking that up. I'm, I'm actually stalling. That's actually what I'm doing right now. Was I was I was stalling for minutes. You know, ironically enough. Because great radio involves Googling things. Um, yeah, right now he, he's had over uh, over 2,500 minutes for uh, Reading in the championship this year. So, um, uh, yeah, then that's definitely someone you look at. Um, yeah, it's – I think – When you play Bradley. It's also another person that you have to consider. I mean, it's a different style of what Kyle Beckerman does. Um, he's not as hard-edged. But uh, I, I feel like McCarty is is really uh, w- is somebody that would shine in the Chris Wondolowski Concacaf esque uh, role. That's just me. I'm a huge McCarty fan. No, the, I, I mentioned him before. I mean, and when you play a Bradley, you need that. Um, you need an anchor for him. We've seen that over the years, and he's we've just not we're not really seeing that. And it's it's interesting that. Even that Clinton even bothers bringing in Nagby, but even bothers bringing in you know when when the intention is to bring in Zuzi. Like I I did not understand the roster construction at all. Like he wants to play a four three three with Zardis and Wood. Even though the last time we played a four three three, we gave up tons of shots because we were playing a low block. I highly doubt they were practicing in a four three three since they don't tend to practice formations in general. Uh, it's I you cannot look at this team and say this is the starting eleven for the next game. This is what they're going to do going forward. I think certain positions. I think DeAndre Yedlin looked good enough at right back that you can say that's probably where you need to look at him. Um, I think Cameron, you know, continues to show why he's probably our strongest center back um, when even when everyone is healthy. But I mean, other than that, I mean, I'm not quite sure what you get out of this game. But see what the sad thing about that is that as soon as Cameron has one bad game, he's gone. That and well, and, and that's really unfair. And that's well, they push that, him to right back that because he wants Yedlin for his speed up top or, or I mean or out wide or yeah, it's, it's frustrating. But but he's happy to pull Johnson back to the left back. 
um, just because he won't trust Castillo in the long run. So it's it, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the logic of Klinsman. Well, I mean, when you're not even bothering to go to your other two left backs that consistently play left back for two, you know, MLS Cup caliber clubs, uh, I mean... You know, you have Robbie Rogers that you that you've been denying for you know eighteen months. For you know, we could make assertions and assumptions with that. And then you you look over Chris Tierney, who we've been carrying a torch for. I feel is worthy to at bare minimum to play. Concacaf, sure. Yeah, Concacaf, uh, and his service in with it, his left foot is going to provide opportunity, plenty of opportunities. So I mean. Yeah, it's really frustrating because um, there there are. Well, you've also overlooked Hollings head. Oh well, that's that's I was we belabored that so much to where <laughs> that's that, honestly that's uh, that's fan fiction at this. At and also this let's throw out Bornstein. Bornstein's also doing great things. Oh yeah, but Bornstein. I mean, but, <laughs> but these are all things that we talked about on the last yeah. podcast. These are all guys that are all better better than Edgar Castillo. And no, no that's not true. That's not Edgar Castillo is a starter. On a much better Mexican team than uh, than uh, Bornstein. Edgar Castillo has been solid in Mexico. Edgar Castillo is two way. I think I, I he's think that's super rough he's on. on a better he's, team doesn't necessarily make him a better player. And I think I, that gets disguised. I think that be, becomes that's why he got came up from Tijuana and got the call up originally was because he was on a Tijuana team that was doing and succeeding. And so you just make assumptions, and I'm not dis- he's I'm not, not discrediting. He's not playing for Tijuana. No, no, he's not anymore. What he's with uh, 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 Santos Laguna? Or no, he's with no, um, Mon- uh, Monterey. I'm sorry. Monterey. Monterey. Well, my general point with this is that I think people like to carry baggage with players. Castillo has looked bad for the U.S. in the past. I think we're at a point right now where he is consistently at a position. In a league, which is this is the same reason why Beasley was able to have a renaissance because he was consistently getting left back minutes in League MX. So I think, but he didn't. He never had the baggage of this is a bad player. I think people just want to think Castillo is a bad player. I did not see anything from Castillo last night that showed that he was a bad player. I think he um, he he, cre- he almost created a, a brilliant attack. I think he looked good in defense. I mean, I'm not sold that Castillo is bad and shouldn't be. Uh, be one of the backup options. I think that's just a little. I, I would put him, you know, in the in the running with any of the MLS options. Not necessarily my top MLS options, but I think I'm not going to throw him away as like an Orozco type player where he just straight shouldn't be there. Fair enough. Um, kind of tr- to tr- tr- just push us forward a little bit. Let's look at where the heck stands. And, and you kind of you kind of went into this a little bit as far as what what could conceivably be um, group C, which the United States is in Trinidad Tobago will most uh, most likely win this group um, barring, you know, the United States actually finding their head. Um, and it's conceivable still that the United States could blow this also still. Um, so it's not 100% that they've gone on, but Trinidad Tobago probably uh, moves forward along with the U S Group B, um, Costa Rica, Panama, it's very likely. Uh, Mexico moves on from Group A most definitely at this stage. A little bit of a toss-up between Honduras and Canada at this stage, so it's kind of questionable. I feel like it would be in the in the state's best interest 
that Canada goes forward. Going Definitely. down, going Definitely. down and trying to take on Honduras in the middle of summer is going to blow chunks. It's going to suck. Yeah, those are all very strong teams, and it's very similar to every to, to most hexes. Um, I think occasionally you get a weak team in a hex. I don't. There's not going to be one this time, unless or it's one of the situations where if you look around and there's not a weak team in the hex, it's it's us. No, I I think that I think Panama's their their level caliber of player. They're kind of coming across some really good players. I mean, you know, Roman Torres will be healthy next time around. Um, you know, Costa Rica has kind of a golden generation about their maybe on the twilight of it, but they've got some really good players um, that are still in Europe. And we still we still haven't won in Costa Rica either. That's another. That's a good. That's a that's a yeah. good point too. Um, Mexico seems to have, you know, gotten the monkey of whatever psychology crap was going on with that team and that country. They've kind of figured it out. Um, so this idea that we are the top dog now, uh, still in Concacaf, I, I think is it's it's a little uh, fictitious and it's a little bit scary to find where we're at at this current juncture. Jared, what do you think of uh, the United States chances? I mean, obviously it's a little bit hard to, uh, to put a number on it, but what do you, what do you think going into the hex? I think at, at the end of the day, they, they should beat Honduras and they should beat a Trinidad Tobago. They should be ahead of those, those teams. Um, and that puts them in the mix with Panama, I would say, for you know whether or not they are in or get have to do the playoff. Obviously, they could slip up and screw up, and, and we could find they could find themselves or, or Honduras or, or Trinidad Tobago pull off some some upsets that we wouldn't expect. Um, so I, I still like their chances of getting all the way to the World Cup. I think they're still favorites to do that. Um, you know, and I think they I, I think. CONCACAF has AFC, the, the Asian uh, playoff, and so thank God that's not the South American. So mm-hmm. you've got, you've, you know, you, you might have a Uzbekistan or, or somebody like that if, you're, if you happen to get the fourth spot. So somebody Australia? Again, yeah, yeah, Australia, you know, should get through, you know, regularly, but... It was yeah, New Zealand might, last time. Oh, it was it New Zealand? I'm sorry. It was New Zealand last time, yeah. No, I think the OFC guys have to play. Uh, yeah, those guys have to play South America this time. So we would be, we would be, um, you know, I still feel like we're in pretty good shape. But you're right. If 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 things like what happened in Guatemala continue to happen, they could find themselves on 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 the downside of Honduras or Trinidad and Tobago and be in a lot of trouble. So. Moving from that point to this, I think it's kind of an interesting case study for how important it is in putting players in places that they succeed. And it kind of goes into the, the discussions that we that we have routinely in the essence of formations versus just roles. Right. Um, I'm a big I, I, I really believe in roles for players versus necessarily um, direct formations, you know, calling it a striker um, sometimes takes away from the role the player actually facilitates because then you compare them to other strikers and that doesn't necessarily communicate what they were doing the entire game. Um, but that's my own little soapbox. 
I think that it's really interesting how good players were once they're kind of there, there was a level of confidence and I think that it's associated with comfortability. And I think it's so odd that our national team coach, the U S national team coach is so contrarian about being comfortable and within um, this nice uh, zone this familiar zone. He constantly wants to challenge the players to a, to a point that I feel like it, it really, it tears away at, at really everything that they know. And maybe that's a little dramatic. Um, I just know from my experience, I've been in situations where I have people I'm a very comfortable with my knowledge. I'm very comfortable with being able to do a job and people start coming in there and they want me to, to grow. And so they put me in challenging situations and instead of it actually helping me grow, I get frustrated in the things that I know, you know, I, I, I become stupid. I just absolutely get frustrated. I, I forget things. I drop things, things, you know, kind of fall at the wayside and I'm not nearly as productive as, as I have been in certain situations. Um, maybe you guys can relate to that. Maybe not. Maybe that's my own little uh, story and, you know, we can move on. But what do you guys, what do you guys think about just the idea of putting players in their positions, Jared? Is, is it too much, is it too much of a, uh, of a hyperbole at this stage to where it's just, you know, U S media has just made, too much of it no i think it is i think it is a very relevant issue i i i'm i was okay with the tinkering as you're kind of working through the friendly season but it feels like klinsman just continues to not land i mean i know he says formations don't matter but he continues to shuffle formations and roles and players in and out there's no cohesion there's it who knows who's winning battles you know are there battles going on i mean it seems like chaos every lineup you have no idea what's going to happen and i got to imagine that is impacting the players certainly you see it on the field when they're just sort of kicking long balls down and and trying to kind of you know be bigger than you know take take advantage of their height against guatemala that's kind of your your strategy because you can't you don't have any linkage or connectivity in the midfield with those players because there's no cohesion they're not used to playing the roles you can't expect them to do anything else so i do think I do think it's a very real issue that I'd like to see a little bit more of a consistent idea of a team and an expectation. You know, Sean was talking about Cameron as a center back. Yedlin's our right back and have somebody unseat them. Um, it's just too chaotic right now. You don't know what's going to happen. And I can't see how that's helping the players. Sean, I, if one person has a thoughts on this. Well, I think – it's a little unfair to some extent the, for the first game in this series that people were complaining about, for instance, the back line. Because, obviously, Brooks and Beasler were out. Brooks and Beasler, everyone knew were going to be the starters. So those guys sort of have cemented a the, their spots. Um, whether you like the, that Cameron's not in there or not, that's sort of... Uh, irrelevant. It, it was just through injury that that was happening. I think, again, Bedoya's injury in the second game um, meant that Klinsman didn't have any wingers that he trusted because he wanted to m move Yedlin back. So what he did have was 
he didn't have Altidore either. So what he did have was a Wood and a Zardes. Zardes, who he's played on the wings. And he has a Bradley, and he has a Beckerman. So, and with his success he's had with three center mids before, he thought, why not do the 4-3-3? I mean, in general, I would agree, he has not played players in their positions. He's not shown consistency. And I think that that's fine if you're a top-level coach in Bundesliga. Because at that level, players have the soccer IQ to adapt and understand how to work things out in different formations. Because there are plenty of soccer coaches who believe that formations don't don't really matter, and they will change it up all the time. And they're able to do that because the players are smart enough. I don't think the modern American player understands field space well enough to do that. I think they benefit from knowing exactly what they're doing. And I, I think that's definitely hurt the U.S. team. But I think to paint anything in broad strokes from these two games on that front, just given all the injuries we faced, I mean, to Johnson, Brooks, Beasler, Bedoya, um, I believe there's another. Altidore was um, not fully fit. It, it's it's a little it's a little rough. I think the other side of this question, which is interesting for me. This may be a little controversial to even bring up, but the we're developing kind of Jamaica, Honduras national teams, and obviously we're at some level developing the U.S., but there's also the argument that from a U.S. perspective, a, a Bradley could be better served playing elsewhere as opposed to MLS, and could his are his skills at a high enough level playing in MLS, considering how badly the team needs him to be at a high level? And is MLS hurting some of these players because they're sort of taking kind of the the star cash, if you will, of playing in the U.S.? So in a way, MLS could, could hurt the U.S. national team as well. You know, I think it's an interesting question when it comes down to that, whether or not um, that affects their play on an international scale. Uh, I, I feel like if anything, for some of them, it kind of makes them better uh, just because they're, they're regularly seeing some of the well, maybe not, maybe not all of them, but I was going to say some of them are seeing CONCACAF international play, right? So they're going to play Costa Rica. They're playing Mexican teams. Um, We're also just playing. In Europe, you have to fight for your spot. Like Dempsey's whole international career has been ups and downs of, is he playing for his team at the moment? And then once he's in MLS, it's, oh, he's always playing for his team. Landon Donovan's always been playing, or was always playing for his MLS team. I think... Um, there are, there are a couple guys. I've always personally, I think Bradley's taking a step back in MLS. Uh, I think that's largely the team he's on. Um, he hasn't been on a good team, <laughs> but I think that, uh, I'm skeptical of Magic Fairy Dust of Europe in general. Uh, I, it works for some players. It definitely does not work for all. And I think playing time is more important. I do think there is an interesting question of when you look at the amount of veterans that we're bringing into this league. I know that Mexico revamped their youth system by making requirements if you have to play a certain number of youth players and give them a certain number of minutes or something like that. And I think that's something the U.S. might want to look into, just going back to the U23 thing, the fact that we aren't getting the Holdens and the questions in at that age anymore. And if you look at that generation and where they went on to become all those players, you go, well, that, you know, that's a really solid development pipeline. Maybe it was a golden generation, but maybe, just maybe, playing consistent minutes that young really helps you. And 
Yeah, they're really cooking it up for the U.S. national team. <laughs> but I mean, well, I mean, no, Stuart Holden would be absolutely. I mean, if he was going, I mean, Kleshin and Failhaber, you, you can't blame them for not cooking it up on the national team. I mean, the Hamid, uh, another one. Well, Hamid wasn't that generation, but I mean, that's definitely like the best generation we've had. Um, Altador for sure. Davies would still be there. So I mean, it's very hard There's to an argue. Argument to be had that Charlie Davies should still be there. Yeah, there there probably is. So yeah, um, Rogers. You know, I think that's a. I would. That's something I want MLS to look into because U.S. Soccer has no control over that. But that's something I would like MLS to look into. And MLS really has no prerogative. Um, the, the Mexican Federation owned, or League MX and Mexican Federation are like the same thing. MLS is separate from the U.S. Soccer Federation. MLS doesn't really have, it's not in their best interest to just develop American players. So it's not something that's going to necessarily happen. But it is not in our best interest to be this big import league. And um, I think there needs to be more FC Dallas's. I think... Um, largely the problems of England are going to start happening to us, and that's we're not going to be able to develop because we rely so heavily on bringing in other players. All right, uh, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about passing metrics, and then we're also going to talk about the Eastern Conference uh, for MLS. So stick with us. But don't look the part Severely absurd Nerves in my heart So I Peel back the mask Let them peer in Let them bask in the vast Rap task that they're hearing This ain't nerd core man This is nerd life This is nerd pride Yeah man you heard right Outside got a mainstream interior Inside how's my true love for material Welcome back with us uh, We're going to talk a little bit About the Eastern Conference We've been really uh, hammering home the, Our Western Conference bias And, and to be fair, it is probably uh, Jared. You're East East Coaster. Um, are you offended by the notion that the West Coast is the best coast? I am not offended at all. Actually, I, I begrudgingly agree. So, with that being said, looking at the state of affairs, Montreal on top, Philadelphia number two. What can – we're three games – well, all right, three and a half uh, games into the season. Anything that we can really take out of uh, take out of the standings yet or even uh, observances that we, that we may have? I, I actually have a statistical answer to this question. So I looked at the last five, year, five MLS seasons, and I looked at the correlation between the first three games team play, teams played and the next 31 – and the correlation um, w- was three uh, percent. So there's absolutely nothing that we've learned <laughs> between the first three games and what's about to happen the rest of the season. Well, not nothing. Three percent. Three. <laughs> <laughs> Zero is nothing. Zero is nothing. <laughs> I was I was just gonna go ahead and erase that three percent. But um, so I think Don't the point you is do we, it. Don't so, you do it. <laughs> I've just provided some certainty to to the fact that we we don't really know where these teams are. I still think it's worth for fun since you basically have almost the the standings turned upside down from a sort of expectation point of view, not exactly, but you've you've got DC United, New England and Columbus out of the playoffs and you've swapped in NYCFC, Orlando and Philly into the playoffs. Obviously that that's all going to 
switch around as the season goes on. But if I were to pick one maybe team that would stay down in the East and one team that might stay up, I think I'd keep DC United down. And I mm-hmm. think analysts have a good time uh, saying that, you know, their luck's going to run out. Uh, but and, and so maybe it's it's just a matter of luck. But I, I, I do think, you know, losing Perry Kitchen and, and they just – the defense hasn't been there eight, eight games uh, – eight goals, sorry, in their four games – um, it's it, they're just not playing the style. Maybe the midfield's too new with uh, Niarco and Nagel being added, but um, but I think that team is is maybe looking like they might drop out of the playoffs. And the team that I guess I'd say might stay up. I know you're thinking I'm going to say the Union, but I I'm impressed so far with Orlando and and mostly. I mean, Laren's obviously going to lead the charge, but I think defensively so far they look very strong and look like a playoff team at that end of the pitch. So those would be my two kind of stay-ins, if you will, if I were to, if I were to guess, with just that 3% of information. You know, it, it's kind of funny at this stage, uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to play that game, I would agree with you. Um, largely, I don't think that it's luck that's running out. I think it's the fact that Bill Hamid has no health in mm-hmm. one of his legs. Um, so... But to be fair, I honestly think a, a one-legged Bill Hamid might be better than uh, than what they've been throwing out there, and, and it just it, it, they just do not look good. They do not look confident in the back line, and so I would agree with you. I think DC United probably doesn't make the playoffs this year. Um, you know, if we're going to make sweeping generalizations based on three games, four games worth of data, you know, I think you, you nailed it. Marcelo Sarvis just does not look like he's taken over that midfield um, in the same way that, you know, Perry Kitchen has. You know, obviously they're two different players and, and stylistically they, they've changed things up. They're they're a little bit more attacking, which is not that, that that's not a huge um step up by any means they were they've been a terrible attacking team the last couple years so for them to improve I mean that that was just an eventuality and I think adding Lamar Nagel was going to do that uh, is sitting you know Alvaro Sabria which is sad to say he's kind of done at at this point in time he is the token Carlos Ruiz of that team um, so you know I, I would agree with that agree with you I'm not sold that Orlando City is, is a playoff team at this time. I, I I don't think, just looking at their expected goals, their middle of the road, the shots that they are generating aren't, they're not going to continue to convert these chances. I really well, don't. Well, in, in particular. And well, I, I will, I'll have, I'm not going to go too in depth. I'm actually have something coming out soon. Um, in general, that uh, goes in depth of why Laren can almost certainly not be expected to do what he's been doing. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of questions still to be answered about Orlando. Although, and they keep bringing in new players, so we still know how they're going to all fit together. Well, it, uh, that's fair. Um, if I if I was king of the jungle for uh, and going to make this this proclamation, I would actually guess that it's NYCFC, and I, I think that they have a coach that's willing to experiment and utilize. And um, maybe uh, Lampard leaves and, and frees stuff up and uh, retires and, you know, Poku finds his way onto that team. And the, the, so far, it seems like Vieira has, has like, pressed the right buttons. 
and, yeah. and I don't know if he's going to continue, but th- despite the fact that they have a leaky back line uh, and hopefully they can fix that sometime uh, this, uh, this season and season, <laughs> whether that's with the summer transfer window or that's just the back line gelling or replacing Josh Saunders, whatever that is, um, they have the attack and it's finally seems like it's there with Tommy Mack and, and uh, David Villa. I, I think that they're a playoff team. One thing I want to say about, because I was going to bring them up, I, to say that the attack is there, I mean, they're playing at WM, so yes, the attack is going to be there. I think, um, and I plan it to revisit this halfway through the season, I think um, it's such an outdated formation and it's not something that coaches have had to deal with for a while. I think teams have just not figured out how to break it down because this is a formation that fell out of favor for a reason. And that is if you play it directly, if you send enough players forward, then you're going to be able to expose holes in the back line. You can't have forwards get back that quickly to cover. And specifically if you have, um, if you're playing four, three threes or four, four twos, where you have wingers that are getting forward if you have um overlapping fullbacks if you have um i really thought new england was going to be the team to do it but i guess uh they, they just uh, they played too much possession the final third they weren't direct enough uh i think definitely um there's going they're going to start being exposed a little more i think the teams they played toronto um toronto's problem right now is they're they have no josie altador and they're playing a, a, just a forest of holding midfielders you know they have they're playing johnson and osorio and bradley and then they're playing like these wingers who only get forward if Jovinko manages to get the ball. So the, it's a flat four-five-one. And well, of course, a WM minutes yet. I don't think does he. That's my point. So they're playing without Altidore. So they're playing Jovinko and then five defensive players behind. Okay, him. gotcha. I see. What so you're like, like, yeah, of course the WM is going to work against that because it's all bets are hedged. Um, you know, Jovinko is not going to beat it. Beat all your guys. Well, he can, but he's not going to do it enough to break everyone down uh, enough to win that game. So I think, um, although in the in the East, it's not quite not quite sure who that team is that's going to start exploiting it, because, again, offensively, it's not the powerhouse that is the West at the moment. So that team might actually be built very well to, to do well in the East. I don't see them as... Um, I think they're very situational. I don't think that they're necessarily a great team, and I think... Um, they're definitely one to keep an eye on, at, just tactically, because it's such a, you know, they're playing a formation from the 40s, and that's, you know, anytime you do that, that's just super interesting. Yeah, but I, I think with that being said, I think they're going, I don't think that, I don't see Vieira continuing to go forward with that. I think that he's going to be smart enough, or at least at this stage, this is just my general opinion, and, and who knows, my theory who knows if that's correct? I think he'll change it up based off of situations, and so we'll we'll see if that holds true, um, and, and perhaps not, perhaps so. We'll, uh, it's three games. We'll see what happens. I think those are all really good points, though, Sean. Um, what do we think about Columbus? I think that's one. Um, I know they got to the final. Yeah, I was I was gonna say something. I, I I'm in a part of me is a little bit shocked, but then. The other side of me is, I mean, they kind of ran up against some bad luck and some good teams, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. And they're also not as good as people thought they were in the first place. So this is a team that's, that 
Yeah, so I think this is a middle-level team that's running into bad luck as opposed to an elite team well, that's running into bad luck. So, so they're above I think, middle. I, like think they're, I think they're upper middle. I, th- I think they're a, a solid 3-4 team in the Eastern Conference. The East, I mean, yes. r- looking at the team as it is right now, they're, they're only allowed on average 10 shots a game. Uh, and, and that's good for third in MLS. So it's that's not like they're very, giving... that's very un Columbus like, by the way, I do not expect that to continue because they've historically, because they're running the same system as they have, they historically give up about 13. Sure. Sure. But we're not, not saying that that is unusual or not unusual. I'm just stating as far as where they're at right now, they're right. not giving up a ton of shots. So for them to be giving up these key goals, I think is more situational um, and, and I don't think sustainable under the current uh, direction. Um, well, I think it's, this will be an interesting case today because all the good um, teams have ever gained um, conversion rates. Well, I call it gaining because generally you're not supposed to convert over a certain percentage on crosses. And um, it's only viable if you convert over a certain amount. And the teams that have done it have pretty much just been San Jose 2012 and last year's Columbus Crew – um, 2012 San Jose was much better at it. We've never had a repeat team do it. So it'll be interesting to see if this is something you can do repeatedly. Is this, you know, Kaikumar is good in the air, but was there any luck to last year? Is it something he can continue to do? Um, so they're definitely something to keep an eye on just from an analytics standpoint um, to just see what offenses are viable within the league. Jared, do you have any uh, any philadelphia uh style questions uh, they they kind of seem to be beating uh seem to be doing really well on paper i mean their expected goal uh differential is is towards the top of uh i think it's one two three four five uh right now in mls what are what are some of your takeaways i think they've been a little fortunate um what i what i do like that I've seen so far is the defensive shape is, is dramatically improved despite the fact that you've got two rookies, Keegan Rosenberry, Ken Trivet, starting uh, all the games so far. Uh, I think Richie Marquez, who was a first year starter last year has grown up quite a bit and is kind of really leading that back line as a second year player, which is impressive so far. So good. And of course, Andre Blake is sort of, you know, close to on pace to break the MLS save record. So uh, the defense, so when it does get through the line, he's, he's, he's been amazing. Uh, offensively, I still think they're figuring it out. I, I think, you know, they've had some fluky goals um, that, had, and, and, and they probably had a, they, they probably had a lack of fluky goals last year. So they're kind of making up for it a little bit. I, I you know, I think they're still going to struggle to score, um, as the year progresses, and if anything happens to C.J. Sapong, they're completely out of luck in that department. So uh, they're kind of a one-trick pony right now offensively, and that's a dangerous place to be. So, I, I, you know, it'll be one of those coming down to the wire, can they get to that sixth spot and make the playoffs or not? And that's kind of where I feel that they're – that's kind of where I feel they'll be at the end of the year. Hey, what's going on with Barnetta? Uh, supposedly he's training full and can, he'll probably get some minutes. It sounds like against Chicago this weekend. 
So that's got to, I mean, that you, you talk about a one trick pony. I mean, that's really good. That's going to cripple your, your offense. I mean, that's one of the guys that you really, you really bought into and hope that he was going to be kind of your, your Spanish version of Javinko, right? Uh, not necessarily to that explosive extent, but I mean, that's a guy that you, you very much still hope will, will generate some, some attack, right? Yeah, they had kind of put the creative duties onto him. I, I was, I'm skeptical whether or not he can, he can handle all that. He certainly, he's not going to be the scorer, but he, but as the ten, I think was was the plan. Um, yeah, I, you know, it it, is, it should be pointed out that Idu, Nogueira, and Barnetta have uh, have all, you know, Idu and Barnetta have not played, and Nogueira only played in the first game. So they've done well in the midfield without their spine. Um, even still, I, even with their when they're back, they they don't have a ton of punch uh offensively and so i think they'll still struggle there but it'll be good to have barnetta back and get noguera back i think uh that can only that can only help with the cohesion so noguera is a fantastic player but he it's kind of fun with him being out because he doesn't steal the show from what has been a kind of the surprising william uh crevel sto- uh, story early on um, at least from you know a paper's perspective, and and I'm not it seems surprised. like from a lot from a lot. I, I don't think that any of us are surprised. Um, it's just kind of fun to start seeing people perk up and say, "Yes, oh, wow. yes." Because in our model front office, I said Corral's good enough to to be our center mid, and you were like, "I don't think so, Sean." And <laughs> I made the case, and you were against it. I, I say. I, First of all, first of all, let's let's you're taking things way out of perspective um, that you wanted to start him over a do. And I said, I think that if we're not going to go, outside no, I want to do, no, I want to go, no, not start over. I wanted to get rid of a do. Right. And you wanted to start him in lieu of. And I said, if you want to get rid of a do, let's go and bring somebody else in, which I don't think is a crazy idea. I think ultimately, if you're going to tell Philadelphia fans and in the front office, hey, Marisa Du is going to probably like break his leg and never be able to play soccer again. Would you rather bring in somebody else or start William Cravel? I think they they probably follow suit. That being said, the it's fans not also surprising thought that Madonna was a good idea. Let's avoid any type of discussion about Madonna. I, I, I purposely skipped <laughs> over his name. Um, I don't think it's surprising that he's succeeding in this league. We both, but we can both agree that he's going to be an average to above average six, right? Yeah, he's for, for, he's been a pleasant surprise. He he's uh, he's sitting back and and doing his defensive work, and he's been surprisingly positive going forward more than I think you know certainly I expected I think any of the fans expected him to do I think when Idu was announced that he would it was announced that he would be out three months I think there was a oh no is Brian Carroll are we going to see so much Brian Carroll and can he last but I think now that we've seen uh Creval play I think uh I think those fears have subsided a little bit short-term memories Creval was great two years ago and people just Forget it's just like people forget Eric Alexander is, is still good, you know. Wow, well, that's yeah. Well, I mean, Eric Alexander's been quiet over in Montreal. I mean, that that's part of it, right? Uh, right. And, and really looking well, so at so was Creval last year. I mean, that's my point. A player goes well, away for a year. Creval hardly anymore. had any minutes. 
Eric Alexander was a role player. I mean, a role player on a team that was perpetually a number six seed, number five seed until, you know, Drogba showed up and stole the show. I mean, hell, people forgot about Nacho Piatti. And really, the guy's probably the best player right now in MLS. And that's saying something considering Javinko's pretty much everything that is Toronto attacking. And every team knows it. And yet he's still scoring. Which is mind-boggling. I'm not ready to call him the best in MLS right now, but you think uh, he's definitely you don't up there. Think he's, be- he's the best player in in MLS. No, no I, I'm 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 not saying no. I'm I'm not saying yes. I don't think I'm re- I'm not ready to put. I mean, we're talking the league of David Villa, Giovinco, Mario Diaz. Like these are people with track records. Did and, you see uh, Philippe David Villa? Do you like went in that order? What? What? Juvenko, David Villa, Mauer Diaz? No, no, no. You said Philippe. I did not mean to say Philippe if I said Philippe. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to make fun of you. Uh, okay. Other... I'm the one editing, so if I did, it's not going in. <laughs> All right. Um, Montreal, obviously, doing a, a really um, – they're just performing really admirably despite a player that – I don't know if he even wants to be there at this point in time. He doesn't want to play on, you know, turf. Uh, which is Henri. Yeah, but, uh, you know, when when you have the situation that Montreal does to where, you know, you're going to play, you're that means you're going to sit out the first, what, seven games of the season? Or, well, you're not going to sit out the first seven, but you're going to miss a total of seven games in the first part of the season. That's kind of a huge... I mean, that's kind of the huge thing. That's kind of why we mocked, you know, Jermaine Jones about the fact that, oh, you want to be paid this amount, but you're still going to be suspended the first six games of the season. It, it was kind of this, well, you realize that really they're only going to get this much value out of you. Well, Montreal at this point in time, they they held suit. They didn't want to let Drogba go back, and MLS didn't either, back to Chelsea. And kind of this feels like Drogba kind of being childish and maybe it's not, I don't know the whole story. And, you know, maybe Montreal fans are the one guy that listens to us and, you know, Montreal is like, you're a bunch of idiots and just turn us off. But it just, it feels like there's some kind of discontent there over this. And despite that, and, and, you know, we can all point to different places in time where a star player's discontent has disrupted a team and, and taken a team that this and, and Montreal at this point in time, we can all agree, probably should be a playoff team and could have really just dramatically ruined their chances. Right. Well, I'm still waiting to see on drug. I mean, the things Drogba did last year are still um Pretty, pretty incredible, and uh, I've been looking at um, conversion rates over the uh, for uh, yeah since '96, and it, he's up there with like Stern John, right? So it's uh, he. No, oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and he's a type of player that it's believable that that's not luck. That that's just Drogba. So yeah, I mean, if they can get him to start playing games, then it's definitely a good idea to keep him there. Um, I. I don't know if it's... Uh, I mean, he might just have a problem with the turf. Thierry Henry wanted to be in New York. He had a legitimate problem with playing on turf. Um, 
So uh, it, it could just be something very similar. We just don't know. Sure. And that's always the case with, you know, people in our position, we don't have all the facts. So speculating is a little bit dangerous and, and at very least, and if anything is, is really erroneous. Um, but at the same time, um, losing, losing your best player and still, you know, doing what they're doing. And that is just the amount of the sheer, uh, amount of goals and success that they are creating. It's, it's been fantastic to watch, at least uh, as a bystander, unless you're going to draw Dallas. And which oh, yeah, I was about to say over three games. I mean, uh, over three games. Like, we well, can't be hasty here because when they play Dallas, I mean, people were saying, oh, they're gonna, it's going to be a good game. And I wasn't convinced. I'm like, I think Dallas is going to do well. And Dallas did did well. I mean, I'm... Well, Dallas, the, the thing about Dallas, and, and we, can, we can talk about this in the, in the context of what that game was, I... I felt like maybe there was some overreaction to some of the initial um, formations and personnel that Oscar Perea had been using, right? So I mean, formations it, have been the same. I think it's person. I think the well, I think the reaction was personnel, like not having Zach Lloyd. Oh, I mean the back. Line, I think the back line is held strong, except for the fact that the one blip of a Houston game against the best offense and currently the best offense in the league right now. Oh, uh, yeah, Andrew Winger. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, the one th- just if we're going to talk about the game, what's interesting about that is um, Dallas only got their goals. If you look at when the goals happened, if you look at possession by five-minute intervals, um, they got their goals when Montreal started seeding, uh, started getting most of the possession. It was once Drogba came on. So Montreal started gaining possession. And once you start gaining possession against Dallas, you're playing right into Dallas's hands. And so that game blew wide open. I don't know why more teams don't realize this. Do it. Houston did. Let Dallas have the ball. Dallas doesn't know what to do with the ball. Let them have the ball. It's an interesting. Uh, it, it, I mean, they're both counterattacking teams. I mean, for the most part, that's kind of what Montreal has kind of become. Um, not to say that they really weren't beforehand with you know uh, Devio, but yeah. I, f- I feel like they were a little bit of a of a mess. They never necessarily were a were a counterattacking team or were not a counterattacking team. That's neither here nor there. Um, just surprised at. I think that they've been a pretty surprising team so far, and maybe that's for that's because of Bielo. Maybe that's because of it's early in the season. Whatever. Um, the more surprising team, I think, at this point in time has been um, New York Red Bulls, who just really were kind of crappy overall. Um, Bradley Wright Phillips just not finding much of the ball, not pulling the trigger, not being his normal self. Um, Sasha Kleschen is being his normal self and has looked probably like the best thing on that team so far. Um, really surprising. Uh yeah, that's that's all I got. I think that right now it's all defensive troubles for them. They've uh, I've what's their expected goal differential right now? Uh, expected goal differential? Yeah. Because I I gotta think that they're still creating it's the shots neg- that they need. It's it's negative. It's negative. Okay. Well, yeah, they were in that one game. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
I, I, I have full faith that they're going to pull through once I get the defense sorted out. The offense remains largely the same, and uh, and if they get Verone back, um, then they even have more, a little upgrade there, to eat, whether it's off the bench or not. Uh, I think um, I, I think there's experiments with the 4 2 2 um, I think they're going to abandon that very quickly. And uh, I think after that, they're going to get back to their old ways. Um, I think that kind of wraps it up for the Eastern Conference. Um, something that we had been kind of wanting to talk about, um, or excuse me, Jerry, you kind of want to have been talking about, is you've been working on an expected passes model. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? What is an expected passes model, and how might one use an expected passes model? Yeah, I guess I would just just like there's expected goals. I've been trying to look at expected pass completion percentages specifically. So basically, trying to use logistic regression to predict the the, the likelihood that a pass will be complete using the starting point of the pass, how long it travels, the direction that it travels, whether it was a foot or you know off the foot, header, corner, across, things like that. Um, as well as the position of the player is also a factor. So com- combining a number of factors about the pass, trying to predict whether or not the pass will be complete or not. What do you mean by position of the player? Like position on the field or like body position or? No, you know, um, it's actually the, the, uh, the, whether they're a goalie, center back, full back. Oh, okay. Central right. midfielder. What ah, I so found, that affects, oh, okay. That, that what makes I sense. found was, well, what I found was the data that you know that we have doesn't um, doesn't you know capture everything. And w- when you factor in it, when I first ran it, it, it put goalies right at the top. So clearly, you know, there's no pressure on goalies when they're passing, which really the kind of the model isn't picking up. So it was it was over. It was it was saying the goalies were much better at p- completing passes than the model would suggest they should be. So I had to put the position in there to kind of to adjust for. I think basically defensive pressure, uh, which w- which isn't you know it's always a problem in, in, in these models. Yep. So so I once I put that in, um, everything kind of normalized I think pretty well from a position perspective, and that's the idea. So so I think a couple of benefits that I that I can think of is one just just ranking players on how good their their passing is relative to an average, just like we do with expected goals. So is this person scoring more than they should or less than they should? Uh, are they completing more passes than they should given the difficulty of those passes? And I, it also, I think, helps educate folks of understanding why somebody might have a 65% pass completion percentage and whether or not that actually that actually might be a good thing. Whereas, you know, we think in terms of roughly 75% as average, but different players have very different averages. So we can start to look at forwards in, in different ways. Uh, also, I think you can start to look at you know, just tactically, where do teams excel? What parts of the field do teams do really well in? Or even looking at an opponent, where are they weak? Where do they allow a high, a higher percentage of completions than they should? And maybe you can exploit that area on the field or analyze why that's happening. So it might might help more from a geography perspective around where teams are good or bad at or efficient or inefficient at completing passes. So those are just a couple of ideas of how it could be used. I'm now, sure have you only run it over this year, or did you look at um, last year's data as well? So 
it was built on a 70% sample of 2015 um, and and then validated on the, the, the final 30%. And I haven't scored it yet on this season. Interesting. So, so one thing I've, uh, I'm personally curious about is, have you noticed any, like, um, in terms of correlating to chance creation? Is there, like, an ideal mix of types of passes, I guess? Um, like, are teams that do more short passes or whatever – more or less likely to create or get key passes or if you know like or is that something you haven't quite looked into because i think that's something that that interests me personally yeah i haven't i haven't looked into that i like that idea though well there you go we should do an another one i think i think it's there's 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 a ton to do here i think you can start to link these passes together to your point and think about uh it's not just such an isolated event. And how do these, how do these passes and the probability of completing these passes link together towards a goal? So you can almost start simulating um, the direction or the length of passes that you should, uh, that that a team should maybe take, or what what's a successful path for them. Oh, uh, I love that idea. Have you thought about possibly integrating this with a pass uh, based um, expected goal model? Uh, yeah, with such as like Sam Gregory has developed. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. Okay. I, I'm at the very beginning stages, just trying to. I'm still working through a few. Well, uh, abs- absolutely. I wasn't trying. Wasn't yeah. trying to t- take any shots. I more no, no, question no. direction of as far as idea. where you're headed. I love the idea. Yeah. I know one thing I did. I did this by hand, and I would love to have sort of model just in terms of past linking um i found it very helpful just i went looked at the 2014 galaxy i looked at all the goals that keen and donovan were involved in i looked at four passes back on every goal and what i wanted to do ideally i want like four passes back of every shot in the league to see a build-up progression of passes because i think that's something that would also be pretty um pretty incredible and now it's i guess it would sort of be like like that model as well um yeah, there's there's so much work, interesting stuff that can be done with uh, with passing, um, maybe even integrate into the model. Yeah, the one one thing I wanted to do is is break the field into regions and then look at specific possessions, full possessions, you know, linking, you know, whether it be one pass to ten passes together, and see when a ball is in a specific region, what's the likelihood that that if, if you've got possession in this particular reason, what's the likelihood from there that you will get a shot off? You're, you're talking about like a, almost like a Markov chain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's fast. And I think one thing, one thing I've been thinking of looking at is um, looking at maybe uh, trying to measure holdup ability of a forward. And I think one of those is the ability to receive a long ball. And I think that's something as well. So looking at if there are pass receivers who receive certain types of passes I agree. better than others. I like where you're headed. So if we look mm-hmm. at, um, you know, we, we know that Will Trapp sends a lot of long balls, and we also just know by Kai Kamara just, the, just who Kai Kamara is, that like he was going to win a lot of them. But, like, what about, you know, a guy like Chris Wondolowski or something? Is he – we don't think of him as, like, a target guy. Is he winning them more than, you know, more than most? Because that team plays a lot of long balls, I think. And they're probably players that are underrated in that ability. And I think we're still stuck in – you need a nine, you need this. And maybe you don't. Maybe you can – there's certain guys that you can have just enough to make it work. So yeah, no, there's just, there's so much that there's so much you can do with this data. I love it. I'm excited. Yeah, I like that idea of, of analyzing target guys. I think you'd have to figure out the criteria of what what type of pass would we call sort of a 
for lack of a better term, a target pass, and then right, yeah, the success rate of that that target player. Yeah, so the like things that. I've been brainstormed of was looking at pass back completion or the amount of pass backs per ninety, or I guess adjusted to possession or in final third or something like that. And then yeah, the long ball, whatever we're defining that as, um, the ability uh, winning them versus uh, you know losing them. So it's like an aerial duel for um, attackers. Hmm. Hmm. That's, I, like that. I like that. And I think that there has to be something to be said about uh, backward passes. We, we kind of look at them negatively. I think that there's some correlation to success with going forward with the attack and trying to uh, open up, you know, uh, open up spacing to go oh, forward. So I think that that's a, that's kind of an interesting question as far as how that how you move players and how many different um how many different switches are done, right? And how many how many times does a team switch and, and go forward and create a shot from that switch? Especially uh, when most of the league's playing a one forward system. You know, yeah. uh, it's you know, it's a little different when you have two, but when you have one, you know, you, you need guys like that's why a guy like Audi is so valuable. Because he's sort of this hybrid of all sorts of things. And that's why Luis Suarez is so good in the world because he is a hybrid. He does the back passes. He does the hold up. But he's also a goal scorer. He also gets into tight spaces. So I think, yeah, being able to measure that side of the forwards game definitely would be able to help round out what we already measure, which is their goal scoring prowess. Uh, it was all really good, really fascinating yeah. stuff. Uh, when might we start seeing uh, data up on the on the site for this? Are we a few months away or? No, I think I think we're a couple of weeks away. I, I could put up 2015. I'm still kind of toying with different variables and, and, and ways to manipulate them. Not quite final yet, but um, yeah, probably a couple of weeks away. As if Kevin isn't busy enough, uh, <laughs> have you guys talked about going back further? <laughs> oh, I don't know about going back further. Um, no, I was, I was, I actually sent him directions on how to, how to score it uh, the other day, but I'm, I'm, I'm still tweaking it, so I'm, I'm telling him to hold off. Okay. Well, this is really good stuff, Jared. Thank you so much for staying up late with us and, and having a ball. Um, Sean, oh, yeah, happy birthday as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. I don't know if your your wife told you happy birthday earlier or not, but we get to be kind of the first this year. You uh, guys first live, live, semi-live people. Right here. Happened. Uh, <laughs> if you want to have your birthday on the American Soccer Analysis uh, podcast, you know what? Send us an email. We will make it happen. Uh, <laughs> we'll do a birthday readout at the end. Happy birthday to... <laughs> 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 it would be like those PBS uh, TV shows uh, and cartoons where, like, in between Arthur and whatever else is on, yeah. they're reading off, like, all the names of all the kids. And it goes really fast, but you have to, like, record it so that you can show your kid that his, <laughs> his name was mentioned. Uh, yeah. That, that, that got too real. Um, all right. So <laughs> before we all go our, our separate ways, um, just want to – Jared, where can people – um, find you Twitter, Twitter, Jared, J A R E D E young. Uh, and I write fairly regularly at brotherly game. And, yeah. and you've been kind of our, our, sadly enough, one of our, uh, ASA is more, uh, more, um, I guess available writers. 
It's only three games. It's only three games. <laughs> so it doesn't mean anything. Yes, three percent. Um, Wait, by the way, I got to point something out. And this is a sad way to end it, but and and I meant to say this earlier, but um, the there is one thing that I noticed in this data in this analysis that no team with zero points through three games has made the playoffs. And I hate to break that to you, but that is in the data. That's hey, you know what? That's in the data. It, you know what? If if <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Well, there's never been expanded playoffs. I mean, there are, well, only one year of that's, expanded playoffs. That's true. That is true. There's a little extra percent chance there. So yeah, so there's a little chance that they can get knocked down in the first round. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a zero percent chance. I'm just saying it hasn't happened yet. It's interesting stuff. Always, always. Jared, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Sean, as always, thanks for uh, coming on. Say goodbye. Goodbye. One plug. Just enough my draft. Look for it soon. I did a comprehensive study of MLS finishing. Should be out later this week. Yes, I read the draft. It was really good. Uh, I hope I hope you go out and read it and make a point of it. Um, Jared, say goodbye. Goodbye, all. Thanks for having me. Federico Higuain, and all take care. Have a great uh, weekend. You're probably listening to this on Thursday or Friday. If you did, uh, enjoy the Friday night match. All be good. And we're out. Shut your face, high school jerks. We're about to show you how this works. Are we cool? Laser beams. We're about to awesome all your dreams. And you'll say, what are you, some kind of computer? And we'll say, yes, I bought them from the future. And I'm going deaf for cheesy. I'm feeling a
I'm battle dizzy. 